If you have a Bible, open it with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to talk about power today, power for the next few weeks as we start this series called Power Up from the book of Ephesians. Uh, I am, uh, as we start talking about power, I'm a grateful uh, power recipient, and by that I mean electricity. Who's grateful that Thomas Edison and those guys figured that out? Is anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, is anybody holding anything now that is powered by a battery or a cord of some kind? Does anybody have four million of these in your life, right? These little charger things, I have them in every nook and cranny of my world. They're in backpacks and in desks and drawers and, and uh, all over my house. My kids steal them constantly. Does anybody have that? What's up, kids? Get your own cords. Anyway, uh, but I'm grateful for the things that plug in. I, I, I learned that anew in 2004 when I moved here to Florida. And not one but two hurricanes happened in the first three weeks that I was your pastor. Uh, I got the day off on Sundays for uh, two of the first Sundays that I was here. But uh, 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 I, I went home to a house that didn't have any electricity, didn't have any air conditioning. And I didn't realize that I didn't like Florida in August without air conditioning. But now I know that that is the case. And uh, Eleanor and I had a, a, a very warm conversation around whether or not we should stay and camp in our house, as she called it, or... Uh, or we should go someplace where there was air conditioning. It was actually one of our bigger fights in our marriage. And uh, <laughs> uh, we sorted it out. And uh, anyway, all right. Uh, but think about your day. Your day. Uh, it starts with, with the stuff that's powered up. Like, like how many people woke up this morning to an alarm that was powered, uh, right? And then, and then you move forward to a, a light switch that flicks on the power and the light that's in your room. You go to, a, if you're in my house, you go to a shower that actually uh, is run, uh, you know, by a powered pump. There's a, we have a well and this, this electricity runs the water into our house. The, 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 the turning the, the, the crank all the way to hot, that enacts another powered appliance in my home called a hot water heater. And who's grateful for those in the world that we live in? And then you're done with, you know, getting ready, getting cleaned up and you head out to your, your kitchen and you're going to have some coffee. So you turn on the powered stove and you heat your water and you throw your toast in your powered toaster and you, you, you toast your toast and you, you know, sit down with, uh, you know, whatever screen is available, whether it's your phone or your computer or your iPad and you start your day. And all of those things are powered. In fact, power is what keeps all of these things from just being expensive doorstops. That's that's the difference between them being that and being useful, and it's power. And it's all as a result of us uh, plugging in. And so we're going to be talking about uh, whether or not we have plugged into the power that we have in Christ. Uh, there's a well-known company in our culture called Dunkin' Donuts. Actually, it's just Dunkin' now. They drop the donuts. Even though they keep serving donuts, it's very confusing. Uh, but uh, uh, Duncan says that Duncan runs, or America, excuse me, America runs on Duncan. Who's heard that slogan, right? It's very, very boastful. It's very, I mean, it's wide sweeping there. But uh, uh, I, I can tell you this for sure. Uh, the Christ life runs on Christ's power. You just can't do it apart from the power of God through Christ. It just, it isn't possible. Um, the mission that we've been sent on as Christians is powered by God and his spirit. It tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all of the earth. You're, you're, basically, uh, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and he tells his disciples, hey guys, go to Jerusalem, wait there. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will empower you. You will receive the power that is necessary for this mission I'm sending you on. The fact that you and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ is powered by his gospel. And we know from Romans chapter 1, as Paul says this in that great letter, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's, 
Everything that we are in Christ is wrapped up and because of, wrapped up in and because of his power to overcome our sin, to draw us into a relationship with him, is because of God and his power. The Christ life cannot be done apart from Christ's power. So are you and I plugged in is the question of this series. Do you and I understand the power that's been given us in Christ? Are we uh, living in the power of God through Christ? This series will hopefully teach us the importance of God's power over sin, his power to save, the powers that he's bestowed upon us as his church. We'll cover all those things as we walk through the first couple chapters of Ephesians. We're uh, picking up in mid-chapter here in chapter one, and I just want to briefly summarize where we were uh, previously this, this year as we started the book of Ephesians. We started in that series that we called Woo-Hoo. Who's here for Woo-Hoo? Is anybody here Woo-Hooing with me? Yeah, it's, it's, it, we call it Woo-Hoo because the first 14 verses of the book of Ephesians are really just Paul outlining or, or number, you know, numbering the praises that he has for God. God's just this amazing God, and, and he, he starts his letter just, you know, one by one, one after another, praising God for the incredible things that he's done and for who he is. And uh, So we could have called the series Praises, but I thought that was kind of churchy. Woo-hoo felt better. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, Paul outlines the things uh, for the Ephesians that uh, they should praise God for. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing is how he starts in verse 3. He, in verse 4, he chose us before time. Uh, he adopted us. We talked about that last week and in the series, Woohoo. Uh, he redeemed us. He forgave us. It, it, Paul goes on. He says he revealed his will to us. He, he gave us an inheritance, uh, which we understand to be inherit, uh, eternity, and he sealed us in his spirit. I mean, I, I could go on. We, we, we preached all these messages. If you want to hear them, you can go on the website and see it. But, but Paul starts with this one run-on sentence, almost 12 verses long. No, not almost. It was 12 verses long that just staccato one after another brings forth the amazing graces of our God. But he's going to bridge from those things that we studied in the net uh, to what we're studying today. And what we're going to see is the next part of Ephesus talks to us about Paul's prayer primer. That's a lot of P's there. I'm a pastor. Forgive forgive me. I I do that from time to time. But Paul's prayer primer. We're going to read the prayer that Paul prays on behalf of the Ephesians. He prays this. He's, He's reporting his prayer. He's saying, this is how I pray for you guys. And I, I want you to know that we, we can learn a lot about prayer from Scripture. Certainly we can go to the Lord's Prayer in the Gospels where Jesus was asked by his disciples, Lord, how should we pray? And, and Jesus says, well, here's, I'll tell you how to pray. Start like this. Our Father, right? Who knows it? Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's a great prayer, right? And it's a great prayer for us to pattern our prayers around. But there's all kinds of prayers in the Scripture from whence we can kind of, you know, draw some uh, applications on how we should pray. This is how I could pray. And, and these are the things I should pray for. If Paul prayed these things for Ephesus Perhaps I should pray these things for myself and for my church and for the other churches uh, that serve our Savior. So as we uh, get to the subject of prayer later on, or excuse me, power later on in this prayer, uh, we want to start with the other parts of the prayer that Paul prays. That's a lot of P's. I'm really struggling up here just to keep them all straight, by the way. So we're going to start with where where Paul starts in his prayer, and he starts uh, being thankful. When we pray, let's start by being thankful to God for all kinds of things. There's all a myriad of things that we can be thankful for, but Paul here is thankful uh, when he sees um, faith and love on display in Ephesus. You and I, when we pray, we should thank God when we see faith and love on display. Look what it says in verse 15. For this reason, uh, and what's that reason? Well, he's going to tell us. Sometimes we have to go back when we see for this reason because it proceeds from what we were reading before. But this one precedes the explanation of the reason. For this reason, 
specifically because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, dot, 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 as he continues his explanation of his prayer. He says, listen, when I, when I think of you and when I hear of what's going on with you, you Ephesians, who I spent, uh, Paul, if you go back to Acts 20, we can see that Paul spent about three years in Ephesus. It's one of the places where as he planted churches, he spent a, you know, mucho time, more time than in other places, and, and he poured himself into this church. He left one of his favorites, a guy named Tim, to be the pastor at this church. Uh, when it came time for Paul to head on his last journey, which we read about in the book of Acts this summer in that series, we, we, we see him inviting not the uh, elders of all the churches to come and say goodbye. He invites the, the elders of the church at Ephesus to meet him in a place called Miletus, and he, he uh, you know, says goodbye to them in a, in a very warm and touching uh, farewell. Uh, he cares about Ephesus, and so every time he, he hears from Tim or gets a letter about them, um, he rejoices in the things that God is doing there. And one of the things that he reminds them of as he prays, when he, he says, listen, when I pray for you guys, I thank God all the time for two things, your faith and your love. We're two-thirds of the way to those, the big three. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians? These three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Yeah, when Paul sees or hears of the faith and love of the Ephesians, he says, I just, man, every time I pray, I thank God for those things in you. Let's break those down. If you go back to the verse previous, uh, faith here is the Greek word pistoin, and it can actually mean new faith, so it can mean, uh, I, I thank God that more and more people are coming to Christ at your church. By the way, that's what a church is for. If, if, if people aren't finding Jesus as a result of your church, um, you know, sharing outside of its walls or them coming inside the walls. If people aren't finding Jesus, the church is missing its, missing its mission. Does everybody hear me on that? Church isn't just meant to be this kind of insulated place for Christians to kind of come and be safe. It's meant to be this place where you and I, uh, you know, get pumped up, get refueled, and we head out on the mission and we see new people come and follow Christ. That's, that's, our, that's our mission. And so Paul's excited that new people are finding faith. He's excited that those who have found faith have stayed faithful, because he says as much, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And that those who are being faithful are revealing their uh, their faithfulness or showing their faithfulness in Christ through their love towards all the saints. That's what the, whole, that's what the whole neighborhood series was, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you love yourselves. The manifestation of your love for God will be revealed in your love for others. And you say, so I'm psyched that you guys are faithful to Christ, but I'm, I'm super psyched that it's showing up in your love for all the saints. All the saints, the Jews, the Gentiles, the men, the women, the rich, the poor. I mean, there's a a sense of togetherness in the church in Ephesus. Oh, that we would be that church. And, and, and I'm grateful to say, in so many ways, we are that church. I love hanging out in different ministries and watching you guys love on each other and be faithful to Christ as you serve and as you, um, you know, love on each other. I, I, I was out yesterday uh, uh, to Medard Park, the security team. Uh, has anybody noticed the black shirts? There's one. Don't wave. Don't, they, they're very bashful. Don't wave at them. Uh, but they, they hang out in all of our services and next door, keeping us secure so that your kids can come here and be safe. Is anybody grateful for the guys in the black shirts? I'm grateful for the guys in the black shirts. But you know what my favorite thing about our security team is? Beyond the fact that they keep us safe. My favorite thing about the security team is they, they really dig each other. They have a great time serving together. And once a, once a year they get together and they... Uh, they have this ridiculous uh, smoked-out meat fest. It's just meat sweats all over the place. I mean, it's, 
ribs and all these crazy things, and they go out there to the Medard, and Mike, you know, cooks up all the meat, and, or other people bring it too, and, and, and they just have a good time, and I'm standing out there, I'm walking up to the gazebo or the whatever the place is that we're hanging out, and, and I'm just looking at everybody playing, you know, cornhole and having fun, and, and, and they love Jesus, and they're being faithful to Jesus, and they love each other, and I'm like, this is the church, this is how it's supposed to work. I'm so grateful to be a part of church. It does that. If you're not experiencing that, I met someone who's been at our church for, uh, since May and, and, uh, and met him after our service and it was great to say hi to them. I was like, hey, do you, do you have anybody that you can love on? And, and, uh, and they're like, well, you know, I'm still kind of kicking around. I'm like, hey, don't miss out on what we were talking about. This is what Paul was thankful for in Ephesus. It's what I want to be able to say thank you to God for in our church. And so, you know, get on it. Find somebody that you can love on and, and be a part of. And uh, uh, we should be thankful for that. Can I just, uh, real quick, we should be thankful for that in other churches too. This is just a great chance for me to say that we're not in competition with other churches. So if you hear of other churches having success, if you hear of their faith and of their love for all the saints, don't be like, well, we're better than them. My pastor can take their pastor. Don't, don't have that mentality. We're all on the same team. If we're on the same team, sometimes churches preach kind of some weird stuff and we've got to be careful not to align with people who don't align with us. But when we do align with people... Celebrate their successes. I want every church in this region to be full. I want every church to be known for its faith and its love. How great would that be? It's the mission for all of us. And so don't compete, celebrate. That's what Paul did. The second thing he does in his prayers, something worth mentioning as well, we need to uh, ask God, as he does, uh, to take us deeper into knowing him. When you're praying, this is a great thing to be praying for yourself and for all of us as the, as the rest of your church. Ask God that God would take us all deeper into knowing him more. Paul says in verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thank for, thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Uh, anybody heard of the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you're ever looking for a verse that has all three, there it is. You got the Father, you got the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, you got the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Uh, let's talk about this word right here, knowledge. It's a Greek word. It's the Greek word epignosis. Everybody say epignosis. Pretty good. Very Greek, very Greek. Nice job. Uh, usually the Greek word for knowledge is just that one uh, ending word there, gnosis. It's where we get the word knowledge, gnosis. gnosis. Uh, but here uh, Paul says, you know what, I, I don't want you just to have the, the run-of-the-mill rudimentary understandings of God. I want you to go epignosis. I want you to go, and it's basically a word that means deeper knowledge. Deeper understanding. So here's what he prays. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that you can have this deeper knowledge of him. Paul prays that the Ephesians would receive the kind of wisdom and revelation that only comes from his spirit at work in us. And so let me talk about what those two things are, the wisdom that the spirit brings and, and, and the revelation that he brings. If I can kind of, I mean, it's not 
purely this, not specifically, you know, lined like this, but, but let's just start with wisdom. We'll talk, wisdom is knowledge applied. So wisdom is this, if, if I had to characterize spirit wisdom, the spirit's wisdom, I would say it's all the things that he's revealed to us, like in his word, or through a teaching like this, or, or things that you can learn, like in, in rote learning. Who went to school? Has anybody gone to school? Most Americans have. Uh, they handed you textbooks, your teacher stood at the front, she taught you the ABCs, the one, two, threes, and you learned uh, didactically and, and you know, systematically these facts, these truths, and it shaped your education. Is everybody with me on that? The church does that, right? So when I get up here, I open God's word, and we walk through the Spirit's wisdom as revealed in God's word. You go to life groups and you learn it. You go to uh, other ministries, our college ministry, high school and you know, middle school ministries. You learn, learn, learn in this more classic way uh, the truths of God. And you should do that. Like if you're here and you're just kind of, you know, once a month and, and you know, not really interacting, you know, with, with the truths that, that can be given to you through teaching or, or if you're not, you know, in the habit of reading your own Bibles and figuring those things out, then you're, you're diminished or you are diminishing in, in your ability to, to understand uh, what God hopes for, this deeper epignosis, this deeper knowledge. But it doesn't stop there. He says, I, I pray that the, the Father of glory would, would give you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. There's this other uh, place that we learn. It's not just in the classroom, it's in life. Who's, who's learned, who's, who's gone to the school of hard knocks? Right? Who's learned some stuff in life that you could never learn from a textbook, but your experiences have shaped your understanding of who God is and what his character is and what his power is, and, 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 and you would have never understood that in the ways that you understand it had you not gone through what you're going through or have gone through. Is everybody with me? So we learn classroom-wise, we learn experience-wise, and Paul's praying that that happens more and more for the people of Ephesus, the Christians who are there. He understands that apart from that, they'll never grow. He, he could almost, you know, be quoting here, uh, you know, the writer of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 says, hey, you guys, you, you guys should be teachers by now, but, but you're still just kind of, you know, um, sucking off the, the baby bottle. You're still just drinking the milk. You're still just doing the basics. And listen, to be a Christian, isn't it great that it's not this super complicated thing? I mean, you might think it is, but it, it really isn't. You basically, here, here's the basics of the Christian faith. God made you. God is God. God exists. Uh, God is God, and he's able to do miracles, so he created out of nothing you and me, and he made you and I for himself, and you and I were given the uh, ability to choose, and we chose not God, and when we did that, sin came into existence, and sin has separated us from a holy God, and so the simple gospel is this. You and I are stuck in our sin. We can't do anything about it. God sent his son, Jesus, to be the solution for our sin, the savior of ourselves, and, and it's our, our faith in him that, that brings us to a relationship with with God, it's, it, I mean, there's, more, you know, there's other parts, but that's basically it. Like, like a six-year-old could understand that and make a decision for Christ. In fact, how many of you, you know, were under the age of 10 when you put your faith in Jesus Christ? It's the statistics are right. Uh, most people put their faith in Jesus Christ before they turn 18. And it's because, yeah, the, the, the gospel is simple enough. But we're not meant to stay there in our understandings of Christ. We're meant to grow. We're meant to go further to experience more with him, to learn more about him. And that's triggered by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit reveals God to us. It's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he says these things. He's been talking through the whole chapter here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about the mysteries of God. I, he says, I came to you in court so that you could know the mysteries of God. And he says these mysteries or these things God has revealed to us through who? Through the Spirit. 
God reveals himself to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit knows God because the Spirit is God, and so the Spirit can reveal God to us. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? I've said this before from this stage, but I've always thought it'd be a really cool thing uh, if God had included a screen that's over our heads that kind of shows what's going on in our heads, even as we're saying things with our mouths. Has anybody ever said something with your mouth and have been thinking something completely different in your head? Yeah, uh, it's the human condition. We can fake it real well. Smile when we're angry, right? There's this whole thing called deceit, which our mouths are able to do even as our hearts and our minds are far from whatever we're saying. Uh, who's grateful we don't have the screens? Yeah. But uh, you know what's going on in your heads. I don't. I don't know what's going on in your heads right now. Some of you might be far, far from here in a galaxy far away. <laughs> you might be on a beach, you know, in the Caribbeans, you know, if you're at, if Jimmy Buffett's there. He's singing your favorite songs. And uh, you haven't heard a word I said because you are able to stare right at me and in your brain go somewhere else. <laughs> and if that's you, I totally get it. I grew up going to church. I have that power. I have been on that beach with you through many of these services. Come back if you're there. But, but uh, I have no idea what's going through your head. But you do. And Paul says, listen, just like the, the spirit of a person knows what's going on inside of them, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So the spirit of God has come to reveal himself and the things of God to us. He finishes and he says this, now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things that God has freely given us. He goes on and he says this in verse 18. He says, I, I pray that the spirit uh, reveals himself through revelation and, and through knowledge. That he, he reveals God to you so that you can have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, right? That's where that song comes from. Open the eyes of your heart. Paul asked God to open the eyes of the Ephesians' hearts. Uh, in biblical uses, uh, the heart is, is the whole inward self. It's the understanding of the, uh, of, of the mind and the emotion coming together and seeing things clearly. There are inner eyes, our core eyes, that need to be opened and enlightened uh, before we can grasp God's truth. I think a lot of people, including myself, uh, even as we walk in this life with Christ, we can kind of walk like this. My eyes are shut if you can't see. We walk into certain situations and because we're either ignorant of the, uh, the power of God or the reach of God in this situation or we're in rebellion against God and we, we fail to see his plans for us or his purposes for us in that situation or uh, we're just fearful and we, we don't think to look to God like the, 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 the 11 disciples hugging the boat while Peter was out walking on the water, right? There's all kinds of things that make us shut our eyes to a God who wants to show us himself, but I think we're all susceptible to walking through life with our eyes closed. Paul prays and says, hey, God, would you open the eyes of these Ephesians' hearts 
We should pray for each other that God would open our eyes. And he goes on to explain a couple things that he wants us to open our eyes to. And so I'll just finish with that. He says, first of all, I want you to, uh, God, if you would, open our, our eyes to your hope and your inheritance. When I pray for you in Ephesus, Paul says, I, I pray that you'll be aware of, you will see with your heart's eye uh, the hope that God has called you to and the glorious inheritance that you have in him. I got that from these next verses. Look what it says. Uh, Open the eyes of our hearts, enlighten our eyes, so that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. God's called us with a hope. When we think hope, what we usually think of when we think hope? Future, right? A hope is something that is realized later. So, so we have a hope now, and we hope that tomorrow we wake up. Who hopes that tomorrow we wake up? Is anybody? Unless Jesus comes back, I'm totally fine with us going. Is everybody ready to go? I'm ready to go. But, but you know, it'd be, it'd be nice to have another day tomorrow, and, and where hope is that we'll do that. Uh, I hope that my lunch tastes good. Does anybody else hope that their lunch tastes good? Right? And so hope uh, is what we you know, see off in our future. And so when we think hope a lot of times, we think, especially in the, in the Christ life, we think the extreme future, that future that we have that's a guaranteed to us, which I'll talk about next, which is our future in glory, in heaven, eternity with our God. But I want you to understand, when Paul says this, I, I, I pray that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. He's, he's not just talking about heaven. In fact, he covers that in the next sentence where he talks about this glory inheritance that we have in the saints. He, he's, he's basically saying, listen, God has called you to lots of little hopes before you get to the ultimate hope, which is glory. He's called you to all kinds of things that he hopes for you to experience before you see Jesus face to face. I, I wake up every morning uh, that Ellen and I are going to work, and, and uh, we you know, share a few minutes in the morning before one of us leaves, and um, you know, a lot of times we'll uh, you know, you know, pray with each other or, or just say goodbye, whatever it is. But, but my hope is, is that later on in the day, We'll come back to that house and we'll have a night together. Who looks forward to the day being done and being able to see your, your family and your bride and all that stuff? So uh, that's my hope, is that I'll return to her and her to me and we'll be able to hang out that night and then we'll get up and do it again. Uh, especially when our kids were in our house, sometimes that later hope would be preceded by some um, other hopes that would be texted to me or phoned to me during the day. Here's what I mean. So I'm you know, sitting at work and and one of our kids needs to be picked up after band practice. So uh, if she's busy at her job, she'll be like, hey, Mark, can you go pick up Ben at band practice? And I'll be like, sure. And then, you know, excellent. Love you, love you too, bye. And then she'll text me again maybe later in the day. Hey, as long as you're out picking up Ben, would you mind picking up X, Y, and Z at the grocery store? Who's gotten that one? Anybody gotten that text, right? And so the hope is is that I'll be able to bring those things home. And I'll respond, you know, lovingly. And I'm, absolutely, I'm there, right? And hey, uh, one more thing. And I'll get another text. One more thing. Next Wednesday, we're supposed to go on so-and-so's and do this and such and such. Can you put it on your calendar so we make sure we don't botch that? Because we are botchers. And uh, absolutely. So, so there's little hopes that precede the, the, the greater hope of us being together that night, right? Now, most of the time, I can tell you that I would be able to, in, in those hours preceding our return home, uh, uh, accomplish those hopes. Sometimes I did not. I remember one time I came home, I was supposed to pick Ben up, completely forgot. Right, and I walk in, hey, babe, how you doing? Great, where's Ben? I'll be right back. I'll be, uh, uh. <laughs> and sometimes if, you, if you're married or if you're in a parent-child relationship, if, if, if you blow the hopes, it can kind of affect the evening, right? Uh, 
Here's my hope. When I get to the finish line, face to face with Jesus, whether it's my life ending or him coming back, here's what my hope. My hope is that my master will look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. What, 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 what would cause our master to say that to us? Well, there would be parts of, of his hope for us that we would have realized between his original calling of us and our, our going home to be with him. Did you know that the Bible outlines a lot of these calls for us? Did you know that we've been called to be Christ-like? Look what it says, or listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Leave the old man where he is. But as, uh, as he who called you is holy, as Jesus is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So Jesus called you, and, and the call that he gave you was a call not just to meet him in heaven when it's all done, but his call was that you would be holy like he is. We've been called to Christ-likeness. And Paul prays that we would realize the hope that Christ has for us in his calling us. How about this one in Galatians chapter 5? Uh, uh, we have this call to freedom. Paul uh, says as much here in verse 13 of chapter 5. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So he says, hey, listen, when, when Christ called you, when he chose you and adopted you, like it told us uh, in the Woohoo series, when he pulled you out of your sin, he, he called you so that you would live in freedom, but not this freedom that was just like, you know, this melee, this, you know, free for all. He, he called you to a freedom that would be marked by your service and love for others. So you now have been called to freedom. Did you know what we've been called to peace? It says so in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul writes this. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. There's more. But Paul's prayer concern for Ephesus is that all of them would realize the hopes that Christ has for him or for them in his call of them. But he doesn't stop there. He says, my, my prayer is that your eyes will be open to the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have in the saints. Some scholars read this and they think, well, we must be the inheritance. It must be that, that, that we're supposed to appreciate the fact that we are God's inheritance. Like in the Old Testament, the children of Israel were the inheritance of God. And so now here in the New Testament, uh, the New Covenant, the, the church has kind of displaced the children of Israel as God's inheritance. And so we should live in light of the fact that we are, we are the inheritance of God. And that's totally true, and we should live appreciating that. But I think what he's probably saying, as other scholars think, is that we should live in light of the fact that we have glory waiting for us. And that changes if we allow it to, how we see life. Like if you understand that this isn't it and that we have a future, that th we're just passing through. This is just the beginning. This is just our 70, 80, 90 years, 102 if you're my grandmother, but this is just the beginning. Jesus has prepared a place for us. And if that's true, then we go through things like death differently. In eastern Canada right now, one of my family's best friends, a guy named Jim, uh, he's more an uncle to me than most of my uncles just because I spent more time with him. Uh, but he's my parents' age, and uh, he has, uh, over this past year, developed some pretty nasty, nasty cancer cells. And uh, because of the way the medical stuff works in his world, uh, it was beyond operable when they finally determined what it was. And so um, he's waiting to die. Uh, my mom's there. Uh, his whole family's there. And if you've been there, you know how horrible that is. 
uh, a young lady who was part of our women's ministry passed away this, this past Monday, and it's just devastating. Can we all agree that one of the greatest hurts that we can experience is the loss of someone we love, right? But here, here's, here's the effective difference that you and I experience over other people in the world. We, we don't say, this is the end, we'll never see him again. In fact, Christians don't ever say goodbye, we just say, we'll see you later, because if we're in Christ, we will indeed see those who are in Christ later. And so we come to funerals with a different heart, certainly sad, but not sad if the person is a Christian for that person. I start every funeral this way. Hey, this is a sad time. We're all trying to figure this out. I know it's hard for all of us, uh, depending on you know, how much we uh, saw this coming or whatever. It's different in different ways, but, but let's all agree, if we can agree on anything, let's all agree that this person who knew Jesus Christ and who is in the presence of his Savior is better right now than he's ever been. And let's rejoice in that even as we mourn not having him or her around anymore. Yeah, if you appreciate the inheritance that we have as saints, it changes how you live in the now. But here's here's the part I wanted to talk to you about and I'll let you go. Now we need to, this is what Paul finally finishes praying. He says, I pray that you'd, you'd know the hope, I pray that you'd know the riches of the glorious inheritance, but I pray that God would open your eyes to his power. And that's where we're gonna go with the rest of this series. Look what it says in verse 19. He continues in this sentence that has no punctuation. (laughs) He says, I pray that God would open your hearts, that your hearts would be enlightened, and he would open your eyes uh, to this immeasurable greatness of his power, to, to to what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. If you're a Christian, you're tapped into a different power source than people who are without Christ. It's this immeasurable greatness. He uses all these superlative words. Uh, There's the immeasurable greatness of the dunamis, his power, according to the working, that's the Greek word energon, from whence we get energy, according to the working of his great might. Uh, That's kratos, which means he's got authority, his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So he says, listen, I I pray that you in Ephesus understand the power that you have tapped into through your faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that you understand uh, these two things, that God worked his power in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he didn't stop there. He worked his power in Christ when he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He's quoting Psalm 110 there. Two things that I know about humans that Paul addresses here in his prayer. Humans, uh, uh, you know, some more powerful than others, but we have the powers to do certain things. You all got up this morning and put on the clothes you wanted. You had the power to do that. Thanks for doing it, Glenn. Appreciate it. Uh, You have the power to leave here and drive whatever direction you want out of our parking lot and go wherever you want after that. You have some freedoms, some powers, right? Uh, Some of us have more power than others. Live with it. Just how it is, right? But here's the deal. Every one of us in here is powerless against a couple things. The first one of this is death. Everybody in here is going to be feeding worms someday. Oh, that's, that's, that's wonderful, Mark. That's true. It's true. We're going to be plant food. It's just how it works. Uh, because every one of us is mortal. And you can take all the pills you want and get all the surgeries you want and be you know, running your five miles a day. Here's the deal. You, you might get an extra five years, ten years out of that. In fact, be as healthy as you can be. But understand, when it's your time, it is your time. And once that line on the screen goes flat, it's not like you have the power within yourself to be like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do another year. 
you're just done. Physically speaking, we have no power over death. Spiritually speaking, we have no power over death. The Bible's very clear about that, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Everyone who has sinned has earned death. And we have no power over spiritual or physical death. But guess who does? Paul says, hey, man, I hope you understand the immeasurable greatness of the power and the might of our God who worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. If you want to know anything about Christianity, if you're kind of new to the story, understand this. We believe in a guy who predicted his death and resurrection and then did it. That's Jesus. If you're going to believe someone in life, believe in the guy who predicted his death and that he would come back from death and then whatever he says, follow it. Because the hallmark, the, 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 found, the bedrock of our faith is the resurrection. Some of you are like, what about the cross? I know it had to precede the resurrection, he had to die. But when you think of the cross, think of God's love. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's the cross. When you see the cross, see God's love. But when you see the empty tomb, you think God's power. Because God in Christ has overcome death. And because you and I, if we have faith in Christ, have Christ in us, we have the same power, not in us, but from God to overcome spiritual death and to one day rise again from the dead and spend eternity with the God who has that power. Another thing that I know about uh, humans is that we don't have power over sin. Like, you're an expert sinner just like me. Like, you don't have to wake up and schedule sin. You just do it. It just happened. Who's good at sin? Is it, some of you are like, I'm not going to raise my hand. I know I, this is a trap. I know it's a trap. But every one of us is, a, is, is just varsity at sin. We're great at sin. It's sad, really. Paul wrote about this. He says, the things that I wish I could do, I do not do. The things that I do not do or do not wish to do, I do them all the time. That's the apostle Paul. We are powerless against sin and against the evil that is our old man. But look at how Paul describes the power of God. He has, he has worked his power in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and then he didn't stop there. He seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenlies in a place of favor and of power and of authority. He goes on and he says, far above all the rulers and all the authorities and all the powers and dominions, uh, that are described in other parts of Scripture as, as not just being earthly and human powers, but spiritual powers, the adversary that we face and Satan and, and all of his uh, followers and, and the demons that would affect us and lead us into evil. Guess who is in charge of them? It says right here he, that God has placed Christ over all of those and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. If you keep going, in verse 22 it says, and he put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's what I want you to leave with. I want you to leave believing that whatever you struggle with in sin, everybody's got one, but whatever you wrestle with, that you cannot on your own strength and with your own power defeat, understand that Christ in you can overcome your sin. Now, I'm not saying that it's you know, going to be a road, on, road to Damascus experience where you walk out of here and you, know, you never want to you know, drink again if you're an alcoholic or you never want to, you know, look at porn again if you're a sex addict or you never, I'm not saying that that's going to happen instantly, but I'm saying it could. 
I'm saying that the power of God is strong enough for those things to occur. What happens over and over again is that people rely on their own strength, on their own measures, on their own. And listen, all the 12 steps, everybody tells you, you got to go outside of you because you can't overcome. But praise God that his power is sufficient to overcome death, to overcome evil. Let me read you this quote and I'll tell you a story. We'll go home. The resurrection and the ascension of our Savior Jesus were the decisive demonstrations of God's power. For if there are two powers which man cannot control, but which hold him in bondage, they are these, death and evil. Man is mortal, he cannot avoid death. Man is fallen, he cannot overcome evil. But God in Christ has conquered both, and therefore he can rescue us from both. Someone say, amen. That's the good news, that's the gospel, and that's the power that we're gonna be examining. And my challenge to all of us is to pray that, Prayer th- prayer, pray prayers of thanks for you know, the, the evidences of, of people's faith and love. Um, uh, pray that you know, people you know, open their eyes to the hopes that Christ has for them, even before they get to see him, to the inheritance. Oh, how, I pray that people would, all of us would learn to live in light of glory, not to live for today, but to live for the day, right? But then pray that we would understand this immeasurably great power that we have in Christ. There's a story told of a town in uh, Texas. It's called Itasca. And in uh, pre-World War II Itasca, there was a horrible fire in their wooden schoolhouse. And this is really sad. 263 children lost their lives in this terrible fire in Itasca. It was so devastating that the families uh, who had lost children just said, you know, we're not even going to build it. we got a war going. We're not even going to build another schoolhouse. We'll, we'll, we'll drive to other towns, and we'll just wait for everything to settle down. Well, finally, the war ended, and uh, as, as was our case in our country, uh, our soldiers came home, and uh, prosperity and building began again. And so Itasca decided they're going to build another school. And so they built this school to be as fireproof as possible. In fact, they went and they had, at the time, the greatest sprinkler system available installed in the school. And families who had lost children, previous children, uh, to the fire were given tours. And, and they were shown all the classrooms and all the bells and whistles, but they were all pointed. Everybody look at the sprinklers. Every room has a sprinkler system. We're never going to lose our kids again to fire. Everybody felt just so grateful to have, you know, this, this uh, provision in the school. And so they confidently sent their children and, and the town continued to grow, grew so much that eventually the school had to be expanded. And so eight years later, after the opening of this new school and these new sprinklers being installed, they, they started to break down some walls of the school so that they could add additional wings. And, and when they broke down the walls and went to connect the pipes that would be the sprinklers in this new section, they, they, they realized something. Um, the sprinklers had never been hooked up to the pipes out by the road. And so for eight years, these families have been sending their kids to a a sprinkler-filled facility that had no power to stop fire. This is what happens in Christians' lives. They they come to their school, their church, and they sit here and they admire the sprinklers and they, on some level, understand, you know, I have this power in Christ, I have this ability to overcome, yeah, preach it, Mark. But they've never personally taken the, the pipe of their own heart and tapped into that power supply. And they walk around life in this kind of, you know, milk bottle existence. 
just kind of settling for the very least in their Christian lives and, and not going further into the knowledge of God and the experiences that he has for them through the Spirit. My prayer is this, uh, that we would all tap in, that we'd all power up, that we'd all see that God is able, as it will say later in this book, to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Will you stand with me as we're dismissed? Lord, we thank you for your power. We understand that your gospel is uh, uh, your message of power to us that we might be saved. We understand that this mission that you've called us to is impossible without the power of your spirit working through us. Uh, We thank you for the ways that you've uh, shown us your power, that you've manifested uh, your abilities around us and in our circumstances. Uh, God, we want to know you more. We want to go further into what it is to follow you. Uh, We want to... uh, be more aware of your power, and, and we want to experience uh, your rescue in the things that we face in life. So, God, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Uh, would you lead us to yourself? Help us to tap into you as we walk through these uh, amazing uh, words of Paul here in his letter to the Ephesians, and, uh, and to, to walk um, confidently uh, knowing you and following you with all of our days. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Walk in the power of God, and I'll see you next time.